Hi there, this is Gary Wilkerson, and you're on with us at the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. We're honored to have with us today Pastor Joshua West. He's also the overseer of Teen Challenge in Oklahoma. Uh, great work helping many people. Um, we'll may get into a little bit of his own life story here today, too. Joshua, thanks for being with us today. Glad to have you on our, on our show. Hey, thank you, Gary. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. So, um, so you're director of Sunrise Adult and Teen Challenge. How long have you been doing that? Um, I've been here in Oklahoma for the last six years, but I've been part of this organization in one form or fashion for about 15 years. Okay. And you came through the, the ministry yourself? Yes, sir. I, uh, I came through uh, in Dallas, Texas, uh, where I spent most of my life living uh, just a little south of, of Dallas. And, you know, for me, I, I found out about the program after coming out of jail. I uh, I'd lived the life of addiction and and crime and alcoholism and just, you know, led me to utter despair. And I, I found, I had my first real experience with Christ and the word of God in a jail cell while I was sitting in jail for close to a year in Dallas County jail and uh, became convinced of God and, and the gospel. And I had a man in there that evangelized me and really helped me to, it was really the first time the word of God spoke, you know, the first time I really realized that this was more than just a book. Um, and I made every intention of following Jesus. Things are going to be different when I get out of out of jail. But unfortunately, the, the world just scooped me back up. And I lived in that sort of up and down, back and forth uh, condition for quite a while. And eventually I met a pastor who told me, he believed that I wanted to follow Jesus, um, that he knew I had a desire to believe, you know, I had a true conversion, but that I needed to be discipled. And then he knew a place that that could happen. And so that's how I came into the ministry and uh, became acquainted with the ministry and where really God radically changed my life. Yeah, yeah. That's a, it's amazing to see you come from that kind of background and a troubled life, uh, probably troubled uh, teenage years and childhood. And, um, you know, now to be in Christian leadership and touching so many other lives and also having come such a clear message. You know, you've written several books, uh, simple, simple gospel and the hard sayings, um, you know, and your writing as I've read it and the conversations we've had privately uh, show, uh, you know, a deep concern you have for the American church, um, the situation where, where we find ourselves in and the lukewarmness, the, uh, the clench of the church. So just before we get into that, that's that's going to be the subject of our time together today. Um, in one of your books, you mentioned sort of right after you got out of jail, you you started really giving yourself wholeheartedly to, to Jesus not long after that. And you started going to a church, I think, was it in, uh, was it in Louisiana? No, it was in Irving, Texas. Oh, in Irving, Texas. Okay. And, Irving, Texas. Uh, and you tell about the pastor there, how faithful he was to the Word of God, and how different that seemed to be than the sort of the hyper-faith uh, prosperity teachers that you were seeing on television, there was a there was a vast difference. And that seemed to, I don't know, would you say it confused you or it uh, uh, intrigued you? What would, and what, tell, tell us a little bit about that, would you? Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, this pastor, his name's Chad Burton. He's still a pastor at the same church, Living Word Global Church in Irving, Texas, and a great friend and mentor in my life to this very day. Um, but the problem that I, I had was, is, you know, most of the Christianity I'd been exposed to was very hyper charismatic. Um, and, you know, I want to say hyper because I'm not opposed, you know, to charismatic Christianity, but it was a very strong 
uh, if you're sick, if you're not rich kind of belief. And so as I begin to read the Bible and really be under the discipleship of this pastor, I I saw a, a great division between what, you know, I heard in popular Christianity and what, you know, what this pastor said, but also what it seemed like the Bible was saying. Right. Um, and I think the really, the hardest part for me was, you know, there was something in me that liked what the prosperity preacher said and the the preachers of power and who there's a sort of self-promotion. And it seemed like um, that they knew something maybe that, that we didn't know, or even my pastor friend who now will, you know, we'll laugh about this together as we reminisce. But I thought maybe Chad kind of understood the basic stuff of Christianity. <laughs> and, but these other guys had found some sort of secret knowledge. And really that's what it comes down to is the age old heresy of Gnosticism, which is, you know, the idea that there is some sort of secret knowledge available to certain people that isn't available to the rest of us. And uh, it really did bring confusion in my life. So I think my passion for this really comes out of personal journey of, of coming to terms with what it really meant to follow Jesus and, uh, and what the Bible really, you know, preaches. And, you know, I'll say this, there are some elements that some of these men, I think what some are well-meaning men, um, you know, I don't want to be hyper judgmental or critical, um, but I think the the problem comes in the, not always even in just the doctrine, but the emphasis, the things we emphasize on and the things we leave out. And it really does create confusion for a true young believer who is under the impression of trial or trouble or any sort of hardship comes into his life that he's doing something wrong or maybe he doesn't have enough faith or he hasn't tapped into that that exclusive version of Christianity that maybe they're preaching about yeah yeah and you and you talked also in that same uh, on that same subject there how the one the, the televangelist type mentality was attractive to you because in your young faith you wanted to do something great with your life you know you wanted to become significant so it was kind of in a sense you're saying basically one was a little more attractive to your flesh, right? Definitely, definitely. There's something your your father said in a sermon that always stuck with me. And, and he said that the Spirit of God will never comfort your flesh. And, and I think that that is a very true statement. It doesn't mean that everything associated with God is hardship or, or hard or trouble. But the idea of the things that we want as a uh, an unregenerate person... Um, those things are laid on the altar. You know, I, I, I even say this to the guys in our program often that we give up everything in pursuit of following Christ. And some things Christ will never give back to us because we don't need them. And other things he'll give back in view of him. And uh, I think that's, uh, but you know, it is real tempting because it is it is a message that your, your itching ears want to hear that you can have God and have everything you want and desire in your flesh as well. And you have a, you know, a preacher who's telling you that this is not only possible, but this is, this is real Christianity. This is what it means to walk in the spirit. This is what it means to have the power of God in your life. And, and it does breed confusion. But I think for me, it really was a journey of, uh, of coming to have an examined faith in my own life a faith that's built on the word of God, a faith that's built on the spirit of God. And, uh, you know, I, I often 
you know, hear a lot of people say this, but it's a it's a true statement. An unexamined faith is not a very strong faith. You know, the truth can can hold up to scrutiny. And, uh, you know, I think the uh, the the main way I like to summarize that brand of Christianity is creating a version of Christ that will conform to our image rather than us coming to Christ and conforming to his. Mm-hmm. Wow. And out of that, out of that journey that you were on yourself, kind of transitioning from moving away from a, sort of the hyper charismatic into like they've done about your, your church and your pastor, like word by verse by verse teaching, uh, solid faith, you know, not, not, uh, hype and flash and it was just a real gospel truth that that transitioned you into that kind of walk as well and since that time it seems like in your writings and in your ministry and your preaching you have a pretty deep concern for the state of the american church what what do you see happening what what's why are you so concerned you know the very first thing i want to say about that is i get accused sometimes of you know being harsh towards the church let me be clear the church is the apple of Christ's eye. And um, any of my concerns and the things I write about of the church is, is out of deep love for the church, for this body that Christ has set apart for himself. And so uh, I think sometimes, you know, and there are people who, you know, make a, a business out of only being critical and, and you know, there can be a, an overextension of this. But I think the truth is... Um, we really look at our the church today, and it and in many ways doesn't resemble the biblical Christianity of the first century. Obviously, we're in a different culture, we're in a different context, and I understand that. But when you cut down to the 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 core of it, what is the point of the church? And I think that's where a lot of the confusion starts. And I really feel, in my opinion, that it comes from a culture that has shifted from glory and worship of God to glory and worship of self, you know, and this is a a very subtle thing that happens. There's so many things that we can do um, as a church that, that aren't seemingly wrong. Right. But they, Mm -hmm. but they're not for the, the true, you know, glory and and worship of God. It it really turns into um, self glorification. And, And I'll, I'll be honest with you that for me, you know, I wrote about this in my last book, hard sayings, but in my opinion, I, I honestly feel that some of the, the church methods that have been implored into the, or in, imported into the church really have done so much damage to the church. Um, you know, and I, I'm not ashamed to say that the purpose driven model and the, the seeker sensitive model of Bill Hybel, who even Bill Hybel himself later would say that this was a wrong, a wrong methodology. Um, you know, and it's not being critical of them, but it is the idea that we can implore the methods of men um, to draw people to God rather than relying on the power of God and his word and his spirit. And I think it really comes down to that. I think it's a handful of things. I think we start with a faulty view of God. I think all theology, R.C. Sproul would say this, that all bad theology starts with a faulty view of, of the sovereign God of the universe. We don't see God for who he is. And so um, because of that, we don't see ourselves for who we truly are. You know, if we see God as this holy, sovereign creator who spoke the world into existence and see ourselves as sinners in light of God's holiness, we will never see the amazing grace of God for what it really is. You know, this precious, unearned gift that we will cling to, like, you know, the old hymn says, we will cling to the old rugged cross. 
And so I think the 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 starting point is where the problem comes in. And a lot of well-intentioned people have the idea that we reach the lost um, by looking like them and acting like them and giving things to them that their flesh wants. And and I just don't see that as the pattern of of you know revival in the history of the church. I don't see that as the path, pattern of the Orthodox Church through the centuries. And uh, I feel like it's an American invention that, uh, you know, there's so many great things that have come out of this culture, but there's some negative things, too. And I, I believe that that reinvention of Jesus and reinvention of the gospel is something that that is uniquely American the way we've done it. Not that heresy or these slipping away is unique. They've happened throughout the history of the church. Yeah. What are the, what are some of the, um, you know, the, the, you mentioned the seeker sensitive movement and that's sort of morphed into some other things, I think. It's, you, you know, you don't really go to seeker sensitive conferences anymore like you used to have or purpose driven. What are some of the things happening like in the last decade or so that you're seeing that concern you as well? So I think all of uh, the, all these places where the church is infiltrated by these sort of, uh, faulty methods or systems always start, in my opinion, with undermining the word of God. You know, the, the mm-hmm. idea that the, the, the church is, is for believers this is something that we, we forget about, but the Bible talks about the church being for believers. And I think because of, you know, maybe legalism in, you know, centuries or in decades past that a, a sort of overcorrection to that has been, Instead of like being super legalistic, like if you go to picture shows and you go to a dance, you're going to hell or you have the wrong right. wrong length of hair or something. Um, you know, the overcorrection has come to the idea that everything used to be sin and now nothing is a sin. In fact, nothing is a sin except for calling out sin or, or pointing mm-hmm. at sin. Um, and so for me, as we look around, you know, we're talking about the seeker sensitive movement, but we really could talk about where much of this began, and, and this was a, a revolution that began in our country a long, long time ago. And you see great denominations now being divided because they've asked the question, the age-old question that was asked in the garden, did God really say that? Or does mm-hmm. that mean the same thing today that it did back then? Or doesn't this shift with culture? Isn't this narrow-minded? And so I think some some people have caught, in some denominations and, and faith practices, that has caused you know, the complete denigration of their denomination where they have they have basically come to the place now where, you know, some of them won't acknowledge the supernatural nature of Christ's life, um, the virgin birth. Uh, a big one is, um, you know, penal substitutionary atonement that is a hated doctrine. And, and many of the things that our culture now says uh, today are, are okay that the Bible says are wrong. And so that's that's one direction. But I think another more subtle direction is the idea that we're not reaching enough lost people, and so we the, to do this, we make the church attractional. And I think that's the, the place where the seeker-sensitive and the purpose-driven model came in. Now, even though we don't hear about that as much anymore, it's not popular like it was, you know, 15 years ago, but what it, what it did to the church, the, the effects are lasting and rippling because we still, we see churches that are um, completely, um, you know, attractional and entertainment driven. It seeps so far into the church that, you know, you can preach, you know, go go without really speaking about the character of God or having a, a gospel message for months and months in the church. And, and people don't realize it. even godly people, because 
it's like it's like water that you get boiled in. It just over time, it become you become used to it. But I think to be honest with you, at some point, either a church that's that's highly attractional and highly focused on you know preaching encouraging messages without the opposite side of it, um, they're either headed for one of two places. Either they can turn around um, and and come back to the their first love, like John the Revelator says in Ephesians or in Revelation in regards to the Ephesian church, or they can go the way of progressivism and, and just sink farther and farther away from the biblical truth. But the hard part, Gary, is with the seeker-sensitive movement, the problem is it's not these sort of objective uh, statements that Jesus isn't the way to God or that, you know, that there is no hell. It's just we don't talk about it anymore. We don't mention it. Uh, so that we can build church. And really what it has become is the what we used to look at as the seeker-sensitive movement or the purpose-driven movement, really rightfully now you could call the church growth movement. Uh, and the idea that, that church is uh, only healthy when it's growing numerically and that the end or the practical end always justifies the means, you know, by whatever means necessary. Let me just say this, so we can get them in the door. The problem is, Whatever we use to get them in the door is what we got to keep them in the door with. I wouldn't have any problem with the seeker-sensitive church if they did all these sort of things, you know, these attractional things. And then when they bought people in, they preached a robust, biblically sound, full doctrine of God, full counsel of God. That would be different. But the truth is, is the churches that are supposedly reaching out to the lost, they reach them, but never with the gospel. Mm. And that, that raises so many questions uh, in my mind uh, to, to help unpack this a little bit more. Uh, the progressive church, you, you kind of you touched on that. And then really you were speaking too about this attractional church, which is sort of your, not necessarily always a mega church. It could be a, a smaller church as well. But a lot of times the, the ones that we tend to follow are the, the mega churches that have a big crowd, big you know stage presentation. Um, and the sermons tend to be... Uh, you know, less than convicting of sin or challenging of a uh, uh, repentance seems to be missing. You mentioned hell, and so, so I, 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 I hadn't really thought of it before, but I think you're absolutely right. The the seeker sensitive movement, purpose driven movement, didn't go away. It just morphed into it has some new names now. Um, can you t tell us a little bit more? Because some of our listeners may not know what we mean when we say the progressive church. What what is that, and what's going on there? Well, you know the. Uh... You know, I mean, s several years ago, there was a movement in Christianity called the Emerging Church or the Emergent Church. And, you know, um, if you know who Elisa Childers is, uh, her book, Another mm -hmm. Gospel, is a really good book about this that I recently read. And it's such a well-written and easy-to-digest book. But, you know, there were questions about the church that were being raised, some that were um, valid questions, you know, about the way we did church, the the sort of stance we had towards the loss, you know, there is this idea of, you know, uh, having a church that doesn't reach out, that doesn't, you know, reach out a hand to the least, the last and the lost. But within that movement uh, of people who are asking valid questions, there were also people that were really in a very real way in the process of the deconstruction of their faith. And really, in my opinion, it started with, uh, you know, a century of, or a century, I keep saying a century, a decade of preaching earlier that really did not emphasize on the Bible as the word of God. It kind of fell to the back way. And so then at some point you have a generation of people that see, 
injustice in the world. They see sexual immorality, you know, the, the things that the Bible calls, you know, sin, that now we're, our culture is shifting a different way. And the church is having to answer questions that, that it's not prepared to answer because a lot of the American church had been so inner-focused on blessing and prosperity and self for so long that there was no, now obviously there's always a remnant church, there's always a biblical churches, there are plenty of them in our country, but a large degree of the popular church didn't have answers for these questions that these emergent people were asking. And you have people like Brian McLaren, who is a, a thought leader in this, uh, people like Rob Bell, who once were considered completely. I remember watching NUMA videos when I was younger, um, these videos that were shown in our, our youth group and uh, very highly accepted stuff. And, you know, a decade later, he's saying there is no hell and there is no objective truth. And, you know, God loves everyone. And he's drifted further and further and further. And it really started. So the emergent church has become what we now know as the progressive church. And it really is a church of your own design where you get to pick the things you want. I mean, it really is pantheism, but it's it's holding on to the credibility of Christianity. Here's what I like to say about progressive Christianity in, in general. They want to they want to do what they want and live as they want and make up right and wrong as their subjective minds dictates, but they want to hold on to the credibility of the church. Otherwise, you wouldn't split the Methodist denomination down the middle. And there wouldn't be fighting within other denominations right now over biblical inerrancy and things like that. And so it's the idea of wanting to hold hold on to the credibility of the fact that we can't we on, we can't deny there's a God. We can suppress the truth, Romans one says. So we want to have a version of, of Christianity that will validate us. And, and, and progressive Christianity is just the obvious place that that goes. And the truth is, is there's many churches that are that are, that were secret sensitive first, that were sort of like neutral in a lot of ways first, that have gradually grown into progressive churches that deny things like the deity of Christ or or that Jesus died. That's a big one right now. You know, they, they don't want to substitution penal substitutionary atonement where they will say Jesus died but he didn't die for our sins he just kind of died as an example for us um because they don't like the idea of god you know causing jesus to drink the cup of wrath and jesus mm-hmm. having to die for our sins and that goes back to the original thing we're saying because they don't see god as holy and worthy and so you know really once you pull at the ripcord of biblical inerrancy you're going to end up the place the progressive church is today. Maybe I didn't give a real good uh, definition of what it is, but it really is having a form of godliness, but denying the power there within. And uh, that scripture in Second Timothy chapter three really says it all. Yeah. Well, I know you gave a great description of it. That's very clear. So on the one hand, you have the progressive church that's sort of a, a, a child or grandchild of the seeker sensitive movement. And then you have on the other hand, the, um, the, the, the sort of the hyper prosperity movement, where uh, you know they they probably if you put them in a corner and and made them you know say their conviction biblical convictions they probably still believe in a in a, a hell they probably still believe in Christ dying for our sins but you would probably you know those subjects are not broached very often from the pulpit or in the congregation because you know they, they want to keep it uh, upbeat and but they're both in a sense they're really it comes from that attractional model that you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think 
one of the, the, the ways this perpetuates itself too is this, is so many Bible-believing Christians who have gone on this journey with the church that they've been involved with for a very long time, you know, started out maybe much more biblical. Um, but, you know, as these methods were employed, and they were methods, you know, these scores and scores of churches bought into this, you know, purpose-driven model, this seeker-sensitive model, and implemented it into their church. And if you went to a church where you realized, you know, not that a cross, you know, is uniquely, you know, sacred on its own, just a piece of wood or metal, but you notice the cross is disappearing and they change the name of your sanctuary to a meeting room and, and they don't use the term pastor anymore. And they try to talk about the Bible almost like it's a, a you know, sort of like a, an instruction guide for good living. Um, a lot of the biblical Christians who are part of these churches were brought along by being said, listen, this is how we reach the lost. And if you want to you know, be part of the Great Commission, this is what we have to do. Um, and so as they hear this sort of preaching, because they are biblical Christians, they tend to fill in the blanks. They know what the, the answer is. They know what the, the reason is. They know the last part of the gospel that's left out. Um, so it doesn't seem anti-biblical to them. Um, but it really is something that it just it becomes more and more lukewarm. And so the, the Christians that started out in that church may be biblical Christians, but the, the people they're producing uh, later on become consumers. And they become people that, that shop churches. You know, this church didn't have the right kind of music. This church didn't have the, the premier, you know, children's playscape or whatever. And listen, no disrespect to any church. I'm sure plenty of biblical churches have some of these things too. Um, I'm, I'm not opposed to having a great kill, worship set or, a, a you know, a, 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 a neat place for the kids to gather. But the point is this idea of attractionalness that will draw people in. And we and I really think it really has to do with the fact that we we have lost the belief that there's there's power in the word of God to transform lives. And there's power. Listen, it's the Holy Spirit, the true work of the Holy Spirit that draws people. We preach the word of God and, and God does his part, which is pretty much the, the biggest part. You know, <laughs> yeah. we just have faithful preachers who, who present the word of God. And so we've bought into this idea that. We're in a new generation where people, they need something new. This is a unique generation. They, they need a special sort of approach. And like I said, I'm not opposed to being creative, but the same gospel that saved uh, some, some roughneck fishermen and a tax collector 2,000 years ago is the same gospel that transforms people's lives today. And I'll, I'll tell you this from personal experience. You know, when I, when I was really, really desperate and at my wit's end and, you know, lost, and hurting, you know, I wasn't really too concerned with, um, you know, if the preacher had a cool haircut or if the worship band was playing all the latest music or if they had smoke machines and lights. I was desperate for truth. I needed something that was real. And, and the truth is, it's only the power of God that transforms lives. And I think that's where, and so a lot of times we talk past each other because the people on the other side of this will say, yeah, I agree with the same thing. But you know, and the reason why, and here's why, is because they bought into the growth model. If the church isn't growing numerically according to whatever the standard is or isn't growing financially, um, then it's not healthy. And the truth is, that is a that's a very worldly metrics for, for talking about health. Not to, you know, just quote your dad all the time, but, 
your dad made a, a, a statement one time about the purpose-driven church model. And, you know, the idea of how that was formed was, you know, we go around to people who are de-churched or unchurched in our community. First, we find a, a you know, a densely populated, affluent community that doesn't have a lot of churches. And so that's where we start. And we go around and we ask all the people, hey, you know, what kind of music do you like? And how long do you think a sermon should be? And, you know, what color do you like the walls to be in? What are the things that bummed you out about church? And what are the things that you really liked about church? And so we're going to lost people or backslidden people, if you even like to use that term, who are de-churched or unchurched. And we're asking them for advice how to construct a church that they would like. And your dad said that, you know, if he, uh, you know, he could have the largest high school in New York City. If he went around and asked high school dropouts what they what they want out of school, hey, they they gave you too much math. Well, we'll cut the math down. And recess wasn't long enough. Well, we'll double recess. And you think school's too long? Well, we'll take that away. You don't want the teachers to tell you what to do? No problem. We can do that. You could build a high school that was packed full of kids, um, you know, and you could write books and say how successful you were. But the truth is none of them would be able to pass tests. None would be able to get into college. And I think that's a very true indictment of what we're dealing with here. We are, we are starving the sheep to feed the goats. And we're doing it not only at the expense of the believer who is there to be encouraged and built up in the faith, but we're actually doing it at the expense of the lost as well. Mm, good word, man. That's that's so so powerful. All you're saying today is, is a good challenge to us. Uh, just for those who are listening, uh, Joshua has written a couple books here. Uh, simple gospel. Uh, I've read this. <clears throat> that was really powerful. And some of the truths you're sharing today are the hard sayings of Jesus is, is a, a book I want to encourage you to get to. And, uh, and anywhere you can find some good books, uh, you can can order that. And uh, you know, I'm so so thankful that you're here with us today, Josh. It's been a been a great help. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.